we have the ability to make ourselves sick and healthy. And, and, and I, I feel it's a daily practice and I feel like I want to continue to become better and to learn more and to continue it like a daily practice. And in no way do I feel like I can scream from the rooftops, I've conquered this, I conquer it daily. Welcome back to the Your Great Podcast with your host, Unique Hammond. I had the pleasure and the honor of sitting down today with my old boss, Klaus. And if you have had the pleasure of reading my book, Your Taste Buds Are Assholes, then you will know that I often refer to my boss as someone who I gave Karen's book to and joined me on doing the desperation diet. That's what I call it in my book. The Bean Protocol. Karen does not call it the Bean Protocol. She just calls it eating well. And the Bean Protocol was kind of this evolution out of working with clients and all of us trying to figure out what do we call this crazy diet? Yes, the Bean Protocol is a whole foods diet with a focus on fiber, which became the Bean Protocol. So it was really just a natural evolution. And then the Bean Protocol became my company which I trademarked and I work with today. So it's kind of a fun story. But anyway, the journey I took with my old boss, Klaus, really informed the work I do today because having someone to go through the healing journey with that supports your greatest desire to heal but is there for you in the times of darkness, in the times of absolute fear, and in the times to just laugh together at the absurdity of illness because illness is absurd. Illness is also scary and lonely. Oh, so lonely. I spent hours and hours and hours on my own researching and awake and in pain and it's scary. So having someone or many people surrounding you with love and support who you can laugh and cry with along the path can make all the difference. The journey I took with Karen and Klaus and my family informed the practice I have today. My main goal is to offer support for those showing up to do the work to support them getting to where they want to go. I have a goal of no flares for life and I show up every single day for that goal. Every single day I show up for my health with absolute reverence and joy. I do not feel restricted I feel free because I understand my Achilles heel and I know how to take care of myself. To me, that is ultimate freedom. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Klaus, my friend, my ex-boss, wonderful human being. You are an incredibly special human to me. So when you said yes to come on and talk about your healing journey, our healing journey. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was so excited for today that I was like a little kid. I was like, oh my God, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna share your story because, you know, I, I talk a lot about healing. We heal ourselves, like, right? Because we have to show up for the work and to do the day-to-day. -day. Nobody else is gonna do that for us. And, and we have to live in the body that is unwell. Nobody can do that for us. Those are the things that we have to do for ourselves. But having you to go through the journey with, in a lot of ways, made it possible for me because it was so hard. And especially the protocol, 
was so hard. And the protocol at the level we had to do it at, the bean, like at that white diet level where you're just eating white rice and it was so hard. And I just remember those phone calls between us and text messages of like, hey, how are you doing and checking in? It actually, our relationship informed how I am in my practice today because having someone on the other end of the phone who knows what you're going through. I knew there was always going to be a coaching component because had I had to go through all of that alone, I don't know where I would be today, to be honest, because that friendship and that you got this, we got this. Oh my God, this is crazy. What the fuck are we doing? Like, <laughs> are we going to die on the bean mountain? Like, what is this? You know, going it alone would have been really, really hard. Well, it's so it's so kind of you to have me on, and you know, you know, it's ditto for me in terms of the savior that it was to have encountered a kind of functional, really intelligent kind of basic approach, and then have had the companionship that we both shared through those times, which are dark, and they're made especially dark by the prognostications from the medical professions and the darkness that that sows over dealing with something that they say is incurable. And, you know, there's that, there's that placebo effect, which is a powerful mental effect that all drugs are based up against on their performance. And then there is also a nocebo effect that you get when you hear negative feedback on your state and on your condition that I think adds, well, it adds difficulty. And it, it, I think it, it can really play a huge role. So the companionship aspect of having one another, and I think our basic comfort in being rebels to the system, which was practiced long before we got ill, served us well in the journey to health. But I have to say that having something about the white coat tell you this is your path and this is serious and there's no way out, basically. I remember hearing that and maybe it is the rebel that just went, okay, maybe, but this is a hypothesis that you're working to. That means that there's a chance that you're not right. But the problem is that the doctor talks about a hypothesis as if it's fact or truth. And there are no ways around it. And instead of a doctor saying, hey, this is the current knowledge that we have. This is the hypothesis. This is the best we have right now. But it doesn't mean we know everything. And it doesn't mean that there's not other possibilities. They don't do that. They don't, they don't crack the door for you. They close the door and say, this is the path. You're basically screwed. And that is really hard. I know doctors who don't like actually giving a diagnosis because they feel that people marry their diagnosis and so making it no chance to find their way out of it or to heal it or to put it into remission, which most things in the human body, there is that capacity to heal, right? Unless depending on how far down the rabbit hole you got. So because that marrying of the diagnosis, and that was something that happened for me when I came up from the colonoscopy and the endoscopy and they gave me my diagnosis, that was that moment where the rebel in me went, 
ah, so there's a chance I'll be okay. <laughs> but what what about the way that you grew up and the way that the person you are contributed to your ability to go against that advice when you were in such dire shape? Oh. Like, what about that? What What is it about you that enabled that? Oh, yeah. My, my parents were my dad. Well, really, it was my dad. He was 100% in alignment that the human body is incredible and your body wants to heal. And what you need to do is you need to feed it well and take care of it. And my mom really drove that home. My dad kind of set the tone and my mom drove it home. So that also, I rebelled against that because I was in my teens and 20s and I was like, sugar for breakfast. Ow! And they they told me sugar is not good for you. And I remember looking at people on TV going, they look so happy eating all this sugar. That must be real life. I am not involved in real life. So I'm going to join real life and start eating all of the sugar because everybody's fine. And, you know, I just kind of went balls to the wall with everything they told me not to do. So definitely in that moment where within me awakened the healer, the desire to heal, the willingness to heal, the wanting to go against the grain was definitely planted from my childhood. And and what about you? So tell me, when did, because you had a resection at some point. So when did you initially get diagnosed with colitis, right? Well, I, d- I didn't have a resection, but I got, I had fistulas. Okay, that's right. And so fortunately, I didn't have the resection. I, the fistula was was later found to be indicative of Crohn's. The first they thought ulcerative colitis, and it was recurring. And I took part in a kind of an experimental. So I got a fistula. Then they it would turn into an abscess, and then they cut the abscess, and they were unable to find a source, which I was told was normal. And then I got another abscess, and the doctor said, "No." got an abscess, we found the source. There's a new approach in which we take, and it was like they put Gore-Tex into the actual fistula hole Mm. because it it was thought that that would promote scar tissue. And he said, it'll either work or not, but if it works, it's great because whatever. So I went for that and then that didn't work. And then I had another fistula then, boy, I have to count the operations, but it was at least for I finally ended up doing the seton. And the seton is the old style version in which they basically put a rubber band in through the, the hole and then they tighten it around the entire, the, this, I mean, this is an awful thing to talk about, but Not go they on. tighten it around the entire sphincter and it cuts through. So it basically pulls the channel that is the fistula slowly through the entire musculature of the sphincter. But because it is done over time, as the rubber band pulls through, the muscle behind it heals Mm -hmm. so that it is still intact and so that you're still able to have function. And that's a kind of an old system. And then at a certain point, you've got to go in and they tighten the seton again, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of fun. That I'll never forget that. But basically, I grew up on a ranch and we used to used to have to castrate sheep, cows, and, and you would put a rubber band, you know, you'd have a, an instrument that expanded and you would put a rubber band around the scrotum. And then within like three weeks, it would have cut through 
the skin and there would have been no sign of it. It would have healed off perfectly. And that's how you castrate sheep. But anyway, so that, that philosophy is, is an old kind of system and that worked. That was the journey. And in the process, you know, that I was told I would have to cut pieces of my bowel. I like that there was no way to heal it. And, you know, and I do really like I take each day and each day I'm kind of focused on my health and I'm focused on things I've learned and I don't take a day for granted and I'm not here to trumpet my success really, but more to go over my journey thus far. And so the factors that contribute, and I think diet obviously is huge, but I think in my, well, in my really going into the base of what made me the worst has a lot to do with stress as well. So stress is a major factor. And I think everyone can agree on that. And I think as part of any routine in which you want to find ultimate health, one has to bear down on those things that are truly stressing them. And in my case, it was not dealing with a toxic business partner relationship that was that was causing me real problems. And then not dealing with a personal relationship that was not right for me. And then not and and kind of running from familial responsibility. So I had kind of three that were causing me stress. And so as I dealt with those and did the diet, you know, the diet pulled me out and gave me the first glimmers of hope. And then it's been a process of, of bearing down on those things that, that cause stress. And I think for anyone, I think the most valuable things that I could try and share besides the genius of, of what we'll talk about, you, you are the expert on with nutrition is the soul searching and the realistic assessment of your life and what are causing it. And I think what is the most disconcerting about getting a diagnosis from the white coat, for example, is first of all, they're presenting a hypothesis, as you said, that's not even a theory, much less proof. And their theory or their hypothesis is that your body has gone crazy and it's attacking itself. And they will all readily admit that no one knows why. And they will kind of go down what the Western medical profession considers to be the best treatment. And I think if you go a little bit deeper and you look at the disease affecting the entire medical profession, it is one that is driven by economics and one that is philosophically not focused on a holistic cure or treating the whole, but rather the symptoms. So it's a symptomatic pursuit. It may have started with Pasteur saying that the the pathogen is the issue, not the terrain. And so it goes way back. But ultimately, you have the drug companies financing the colleges, and you have a manufacturing system for doctors that creates, in large part, drug reps, basically. And I say that with a lot of love for doctors and a lot of love for the people who have joined the medical profession to help. My brother is a doctor who is absolutely fantastic. And we've discussed this 
tendency together. And I don't mean to, to say it in, as an insult, but rather as a general observation to the state of the medical system. And then if you look at where we stand as a country, we spend the most of any country in the world on healthcare. And I believe that our health relative to the rest of the countries is something like 32nd or 35th place or something. I'm not sure, but it's, I believe in the 30s. So you're spending the most and you're having that outcome. And, and based on all that, I think you have to look at the system itself and look at where, where that kind of thing goes wrong. And if you look at it from a financial standpoint, it's a much better business model not to heal something. It's a much better business model to have a continued need for services. And the natural ways, if you thought of the very first medical practitioner, Hippocrates, really. So the Hippocratic Oath is first do no harm and let food be thy medicine, right? So those, those things are, are, are fundamental, but I think lost in the pursuit of profitability that is, I think, the biggest industry by far in the United States. So Having said all that, there are miraculous things that have been achieved, and I don't mean to be disparaging to people who have spent their lifetime learning how to take care of people. But I think if, if you're sick, you need to, and especially if the diagnosis is it's uncurable and you're destined to a life of, of using, well, drugs and some drugs and surgery, I think one needs to kind of take a 30,000 foot view and really see what one can do using those kind of original, original ideas about holistic health, which is let food be thy medicine, I guess. That's been my journey. Beautifully said. There isn't a lot of education in the medical around diet as being a tool for better health. I remember the doctor saying, Sure, you can you can try things, but nothing is shown to actually help. But nothing, you know, they haven't really took a deep dive into it as well, especially at the time. I'm looking at 13 years that I was diagnosed with Crohn's and they take a pill or take this thing and eat whatever you want was really what propelled my path because that just didn't line up. I was like, you're talking to the immature part of me that really wants to hear that, that I don't have to change anything. All I have to do is take this, you know, magic pill and I can keep living the way I want. And it's such a fantasy. It's this beautiful fantasy that the wiser part of myself, which wasn't, you know, was there, but definitely quieted by the more immature part of myself. But when I heard those words and the immature part of myself was excited, I realized, ah, this is going to take some wisdom that I might have to cultivate because you're speaking to the part of me that doesn't want to change anything. And yet I know I need to change everything. I know that deep down inside, I know that I have deviated off my personal path in life, my authenticity, my whatever it is, I'm, I'm off course. So the words kind of ruffled over me and I was like, oh, you're telling me exactly what I want to hear. Just take this thing and eat whatever I want and live the way I want. 
But the other part of me was like, no, this is where you dig in. This is where you do the work. This is where you deviate because I'm really happy that these incredible doctors are here to save my life, but they're not here to help me live a long, healthy life. They're here, here to make it go away right now. Make it go away right now. Not how do we reverse out of this? How do we turn off this genetic factor? How do we use epigenetics, lifestyle, and diet to turn off a genetic factor if it is indeed genetic versus let's just band-aid it and make it go away until, and I see this in my practice a lot because I'll work with people who were diagnosed with Crohn's or colitis when they were very young, six years old, and have gone through every single one of the biologics until their body has rejected all of them. And then they're in their 20s or 30s and their body is no longer welcoming these interventions. Now what do you do? Now what do you do? Where do you go from there when every intervention has been used and your body has intelligently, you know, figured it out and is immune to it? So to me, I remember the diagnosis coming in, my childhood coming back, the wisdom of my parents coming back, but I had that to draw on as well. I wanted to go back to you. So did you ever get a diagnosis and how long before we met had you been doing that? And you'd also made lifestyle changes as well, correct? You, were, I think you were a vegan or you'd become a vegan? I tried that. I mean, I tried the vegan. They didn't give me a solid diagnosis of Crohn's until many operations in, and then Dr. Vasilisikas mentioned that because of the fistular history, that that is coincident with Crohn's, not ulcerative colitis. So my mm-hmm. first ones were UC, and they, they my first doctor gave me some of the pills that you take to try and stem the inflammation. I took it for like a day. I was like, I wasn't going to work. And the, the time that I got the, the worst was when I was bleeding pretty badly. And then they suggested doing a colonoscopy while you're bleeding badly. And that's when they saw the inflammation. But that's also when I almost really, really got bad. I was bleeding badly after that. Was that when we met? Like you had had, they wanted to remove your colon or they wanted to do an emergency operation? Yeah, I, I think that might have been when I was reading the book. Mm-hmm. I had just done it. I was in bad shape. You gave me the book, and I remember reading it on autopilot on the way to the doctor who had performed the colonoscopy. And I was reading through it on the 405. And I went there, and I was in bad shape. When he, he showed me the photograph of that. And I had read the book on the way over and it made a lot of sense to me. And so at that point, then I booked the consult with Karen Hurd and we began that journey because he was thinking that I would need surgery and that was imminent. Yeah. I remember just bleeding in his office. Like it was really bad. It was, it was the peak badness. There was no way, there was no way I could deal with it. That was the low point. And, and then, so, so in some magic, the way that life often unfold, unfolds with kind of miraculous spiritual moments of magic, meeting you and having read that book at kind of the deepest, darkest point, like literally on my way to get the results. That was then the beginning of the transformation. I was so scared. I was so scared because, you know, I was in bad shape, but I'd been in bad shape for years. And I'd gone through periods of bleeding and periods of not bleeding. 
and which is very common with colitis and, and Crohn's as well, where you can have the bleeding. And I was just in pain all the time and couldn't eat and was like multiple bowel movement girl where I was constantly sprinting to the bathroom. So, you know, the doctors were like, oh, definitely stay away from fiber. And in the beginning, you know, I started adding it in and, 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 you know, had the idea because you were like, I'm really in really bad shape. And, you know, they're talking about an emergency surgery and, you know, whatever else. And I remember giving you the book being like, he's never going to do this. Like, this is crazy. I know this is crazy. This woman wants you to eat beans. And the last thing you think about putting down there when you've got a angry anus is beans, you know, and, and like everywhere in the literature, it's like, don't eat beans and don't eat fiber. And, you know, I had, I had scrounged the internet for a very long time looking for anything. And it was always, you know, eat fermented foods and anti-inflammatory this. And well, all of those anti-inflammatory foods had made me so much worse. And so here this crazy woman came along and wrote a book. They said it wasn't possible. And all I remember thinking is, yeah, because it's beans and beans are like, no, no, be not beans. The beans are not the answer. But I was so desperate because I was at the point where I didn't know if I could go on. I was really underweight and it was kind of the last ditch effort. And why I kind of called it the desperation diet is because it felt like a desperate move. It made sense. Logically, it made sense. And all of those incredible stories made sense. But I was like, all right, you're, this is it. This is the last protocol because I had tried all the other ones before you hand in your intestines and we're just going to give it a shot. So I started it knowing that, you know, this was my path, but then handing it to you and in my mind going, this is crazy enough to work, but I knew you were in such bad shape you were like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to kill my boss. My boss is going to die because of me. He's going to bleed out eating beans. And then your mom called me and your girlfriend called me and they were like, unique, what the hell? He needs this surgery. And all I could think was, this is your colon. Like if you can, if you have an opportunity to save it, you have to. And if this woman is saying you can save it, you got to try, you know? And that's like, I mean, this is a grown ass man. He needs to be able to keep it if he can keep it was how I felt. But I was really scared. Like, I remember I didn't sleep a lot anyway. But after that, I really didn't sleep. I was like, oh, no, I, hope I don't kill Klaus. <laughs> this would be really bad. No, that was a saving. That was a saving grace. And also just the the logic of food in general and what Karen heard in her kind of infinite practicality has learned about well, and I think it's the combination of her facility with with molecular biology, chemistry, nutrition. Yeah, that is that kind of triumvirate that came together in a unique understanding that provided the basis for the theory, which is, you know, which is interesting. What really made a lot of sense to me was every half hour you have about two teaspoons of digestive bile. And that digestive bile comes into the duodenum and it comes out of the liver and it's what the liver's filtered out of the blood. And every minute it filters like two liters or four. What, how much blood does your liver filter in them? Four liters. Four liters a minute or something. Yeah. So two teaspoons of bile. So that every 30 minutes, if you imagine how your system's working, and this really helped me a lot was to conceptualize the actual in, in, inner system being Okay, so your liver filters your blood. 
your blood has has poisons in it from various things. It could be exhaust that you're breathing. It could be hormones or excess hormones that your body's generating. It could be all kinds of caustic things that are filtered out. And the, the chemistry side of her competence in knowing how digestive bile bonds to soluble fiber, it's a very basic and rudimentary theory. And then to say that, okay, well, because you have fiber and because it's not just a, um, a trivial bond, it's actually a, like a scientifically bonded to digestive bile. You can then realize, okay, so if I'm eating soluble fiber in the form of beans or psyllium, it is absorbing what the liver is putting out into the system and therefore it preventing it from being reabsorbed in the lower intestine. And we all know that fluids are taken out in the large intestine, I guess, correct me if I'm wrong, but those fluids are taken out to, and in the process of being taken back out of the stool, they're absorbed back into the bloodstream. And every time they make the loop through the bloodstream and into the liver, they get more caustic and more and stickier and less, less good for you. So the idea that you arrest that cycle of reabsorption and you bond that to fiber continuously, that you begin to help the body overcome excess toxicity and that, that destroys the system. That, that made sense to me. Like I was like, okay, this is all, that all makes a lot of sense. And then stories like Karen told me of when there was a guy working on his deck using sulfuric acid to strip the deck and he got very ill. And the hospital called her to figure out because his liver was shutting down how to deal with it. And she gave him two tablespoons of beans every 20 minutes for 24 hours, and then it pulled him out of the death spiral. That kind of functional, based in very kind of stark reality, made sense to me. And then the other thing I think is indicative of healers is when they're not trying to sell you products. And she was not trying to sell any products, which she said is use the most basic things around you. Use them on the basis of these, I think, well-founded theories, and and it'll work. And so that it, it made a lot of sense because it, it was explainable. And I think part of what is unexplainable about the immune disease in general is this idea that you're going to blame the fire brigade for showing up at the fire because there's no one else to blame and they're there. But what is really the cause of the fire? How can you blame the fireman for being at the fire on the fireman? Which is basically what you're doing when you're blaming the immune system attacks on the immune system itself. So there has to be something other than the fireman that caused the fire. Well, it's interesting also what you talked about originally, stress. They can actually now see the harmful inflammatory effects of stress in the gut. So let's just say that you have a stressful, a chronic stressful situation going on that's constantly sending inflammatory cytokines, let's just say, to your gut. And that's going to affect the mucosal lining. That's going to affect the villi, right? That's going to, a lot of people going through college will have IBS 
because of the amount of stress that they're under. And I work with a lot of college students, so I see it. My BS is irritable gut, right? It's irritated. Why is it irritated? It's irritated by inflammation, inflammatory cytokines. So if you, let's just say you have that on top of a poor diet, on top of exposure to toxins, chemicals, whatever else. So you could just create this perfect storm. And let's go ahead and say that autoimmune disorders are genetic. Under that circumstance, you could pull that genetic factor, right? Via epigenetics and lifestyle, stress, food, alcohol, drugs, whatever the compounding factors are, you're just creating an environment for disease, basically. So there's the theory, but what about, okay, so if you can create this environment for disease, how do you deconstruct that to create an environment for health again? How do you deconstruct this pressure cooker that, that, that like I always say, I take responsibility for my disease. I can see how I co-created this environment for disease. And a lot of people go, no, no, it's an autoimmune disorder. It's not your fault. And I'm like, yeah, that's, I personally feel like I created it. And something about taking that I responsibility agree. set me free. It didn't enslave me to the disease because as soon as I realized I, I created it, I co-created it, I also realized that I could deconstruct it and I could clean it up. And with the help of Karen Hurd, I was able to do that. I was able to bring down the infl inflammation in my body. I was able to heal the lining of my gut. I was able to restore a healthy mucosal lining, all with food, all with food, all and and shifting my stress load and that spiritual component of getting in alignment. In those years that I was sick, I had a lot of time to face who I was in the world, how I was showing up, and how in the aperture, when you're when you're looking through a lens, I always felt like I was two people not in alignment. And as I began to heal, I was starting to get closer and closer until who I was and on the inside and who I was on the outside were in alignment with each other. And so for me, that journey of coming home, I needed to be beaten because I was a stubborn little shit very much on my path, the superficial path in life. And my illness was the greatest teacher I could have asked for. And I obviously needed it because I was really off course in my life. So very thankful for that, but also thankful for the fact that you can deconstruct illness and reverse it. I know Karen has said that there are some people that are so far down the illness that it's hard to get them out of it because their body is so toxic and so inflamed. But what I've seen over the last 10 years of being on the protocol for myself and, and helping other people through it is the miracles that the simple fact of cleaning up your diet and addressing the stress in your life can do for your, and also dealing with the emotional components of how we got there in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how did we get there? How do we get to this place where our body, you know, is kicking our ass going, hey, excuse me. Right. <laughs> I matter. <laughs> right. All that stuff you love doing, you can't do it without me. Oh shit! <laughs> yeah. It's that cortisol thing too, and and you know, I think a lot of us are addicted. I certainly still am to the adrenaline rush of life, and go from yeah. From Karen, one adrenaline Karen identifies it quick, quickly too. Oh, you and Klaus, you're high adrenaline patrons. <laughs> you mean we're <laughs> addicts, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people are like that. I also had some good combined effect, and I want to mention it just in case it's helpful to somebody else. There was one thing that helped me on the Chinese herb journey, and and that was a tr- a, a triple cocktail. One was of RF Plus by Integrated Therapeutics combined with Estasius Cooling by Health Concerns and another one called Flavinex by Health Concerns. And I did that two of each three times a day for about a week at my deepest, darkest time. And there was something about the combination that had been successful. And to Dr. Basilisikas's credit, when he realized I was not going to go down the medical protocol, he had found that that was helpful in resetting 90% of UC patients and 70% of Crohn's patients. However, he did not get any long-term benefit from anyone other than people who changed their diet based on another book he mentioned, which, which I don't recall the title of. But there is a reset that I experienced with those herbs that helped to stave off that. And so I do want to mention that in case it's helpful to any anyone else. But ultimately, it's just a tool to, and it doesn't prevent having to deal with those other kind of causal things. And so if you use that in combination with food and obviously the food fiber program, and then really going inward to source the kind of greatest stressors in your life, those are you know, important no matter what. But I just, I, I, if it helps somebody, it, it did help me. Yeah. I wrote about them in my book as well because I mm-hmm. I remembered you taking them in combination with the bean protocol and working with Karen and you stayed on them for a while. I, mm-hmm. I tried them for a little while. I, th- I also got benefit from them. I think I was on them for, you know, six months maybe. But I always kept them handy. It's an interesting thing once one has been incredibly ill. It's almost like those things stay in the emergency cupboard, you know, just in case. And I think it was a couple of years into remission that I finally cleared out all of that stuff and was like, okay, we're good. You know, we're knock on on wood. We're good. Congratulations. Uh, That's so good. (laughs) We don't need the the break in case of emergency. But I I do remember also recently getting together and you saying that you felt like they had changed the formula. Do you feel like the formula is still as potent as it used to be for you? Well, they had changed the formula, particularly in in Estasius cooling. The others are the same as far as I know. And there have been reports online that people didn't like it as much, but that it still works. It's it's that if you talk to the company, I think they'll they'll say it's pretty much the same. But you know, the people who were dealing with that were very sensitive, and I preferred their previous version to the new version. But I think it, it could be helpful, and it was helpful in triplicate, not in, in each one individually, but helpful as a group. Yeah, yeah, I do like two. that Karen yeah. doesn't do supplements. I use them very sparingly in my practice. Yeah. That triplicate is something that I do offer for clients with Crohn's and colitis mm-hmm. who are interested because I do think the right thing can make a huge difference. What I don't love is most of my clients come to me on five different supplements that they're taking and they feel no better. So if you can take something mm-hmm. and actually propel you forward, for a finite amount of time, 
it's an important tool and I'm all for whatever tool in your tool belt. I just don't love nutraceuticals as a crutch or not knowing how to really help someone. It's like, oh, I'm just going to put you on all of these supplements. And to me, the baseline is always going to be diet because diet affects every cell in your human body. That feedback is so important. But can you use something that enhances your health, helps you heal? I think that's a really important thing not to overlook because they are just tools. But with that said, I've been able to stay off supplements and do the very thing that the natural world says is not possible, which is diet alone. And I get blood work done three times a year and diet alone has been phenomenal. My inflammatory markers are great. My nutrient levels are wonderful. My hormones are doing pretty good and I'm about to be 47. So that's fingers crossed. I'm not crazy hormonally. So we know it could happen. I'm in that zone. <laughs> I'm in that is unique gonna go batshit crazy zone, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> Perimenopause, menopause. I think I think I think supplements can be incredible tools. And I saw it firsthand in your case where those together made a real difference in helping to stop the bleeding. And I think that yes. was a pretty huge thing because that at one point, you had lost a lot of weight, and I remember seeing you and just being like, oh, Unique, what have you done? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> it wasn't you. We, like you said, we're the authors of our own disease, Yeah, I think, largely. And, and that's both good news and bad news. Yeah, because what, 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 you, news. Yeah, because what you're unwilling to see is still there, right? Yeah, it, it definitely forced both of us into a into giving up a lot of stuff we loved. Like, it's kind of like, hey, do you want to play this game? Well, let's start by getting rid of coffee, alcohol, and sugar. How do you like me so far? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, (laughs) and by the way, no fruit, no, like, I mean, all those things that were, boy, and you get to have some rice and crackers. How do you like me so far? Yeah, Yeah, this is going to be fun, right? Well, it's not easy. I mean, it's not easy. And that's why people, I think, you know, have that there's an impediment to taking that. But if if it scares you enough as to where you are, when that looks like the better option, you know how bad it is. Well, yeah, because when you on one hand, you have the little angel in this corner going, take the pill, eat whatever you want. You can keep your coffee and hey, that alcohol, it's fine. And then you have the Karen Hurd on this shoulder and she's like, nope, you got to give it all up if you want the promised land. And you're like, "Eh." (laughs) (laughs) right, maybe the devil with the pill is kind of sexy at the moment. (laughs) You know, so I get it. Like, had I not been dragged through my own Dante's Inferno? for years chasing this idea of a natural remission by the time i got to karen i still had this idea that i could have it all i was like oh i can i'll just quickly clean this up and i'll go back to having this that and the other thing and in the process with her and healing i realized that i had to make substantial changes, not just in the way I was eating, but in the way I was approaching my body. And now having met my Achilles heel, I knew that I would have to honor it for the rest of my life. I knew that there was no pretending that I couldn't trigger that potential again, that, you know, if it is a genetic factor, that that couldn't be triggered again and or creating the environment for disease. And 
through the years, that was really what I took away is that I can't be the person I've always been and do the things I've always done and expect different results. I have to, that one part of what the doctor said to me, which is, this is a lifelong disease, I decided to take that and put it in my pocket and go, maybe, but I'm going to treat my body as if that's a possibility. So I'm going to take care of this environment and make sure that not out of fear, but out of reverence that I had the capacity to heal, that I'm going to take care of my body for the rest of my life. I'm not going to fall back into these patterns of disconnection that I was caught in. Her work made an impact on me. I definitely don't have a practice where I rely on supplements, but I use them. I don't see them as an issue. I see them as a, a power tool as needed, but I definitely have the food foot forward for sure because I've seen the power of it. How could I not? You know, I don't have any food allergies. Who can say that with Crohn's disease? And I didn't have Crohn's disease for a year and go into remission. I had it two years and then it took me a year and a half to go into remission with Karen. So it was like a long journey to get to the other side. It wasn't, it was hard earned. It was, it, was, it, it left an impression. Yeah. But again, those things that are, those are the gifts though in life too. When you, when you take them that way and you use that fear and that potential to make substantive changes in how you approach it, then that can become that huge gift. And it does force us into an introspection to your point, how we're aligned in and out. And if we're living our, our truth in the most profound way, and I guess that's the gift, right? Yeah. When you, because I remember you actually started doing a lot better pretty within a six-month period, I feel like. That's the timeline I have in my head. So when you started mm -hmm. the Bean Protocol, when do you feel like, you definitely went through the dark night of the soul with it. I remember you and I were pretty, you know, connected through that time. And I was going through a pretty dark night of my soul as well on the <laughs> protocol. Uh, how long did you feel like it took for you to stabilize? Well, it stabilized pretty fast once I did, did the herbs and mom came and did the her diet. But that, that I would view it in terms of stages for me. So there was the first stage of getting out of like dire, just bleeding out all day to, to bleeding less, but still bleeding and getting kind of healthy enough to work and travel and do the extreme stuff that I did, but always still having not completely dealt with it. And I, I would say that I, I'm never not dealing with it and the sense that these stages for me, one were the herd diet that got me to the next level, but then the it took me a long time and it's still important, I think, daily too. It took me a long time to face the devils within that I I just didn't have the strength to face and I couldn't face all three at once, so I faced one at a time. And there were three primary ones, as I mentioned. You know, when your livelihood is tied up in a partnership that's toxic and it's functioning financially really well. But on another hand, you know that it's toxic and there's theft and it's it's really brutal. That was one big one 
that, that so once I solved that, I felt I, I reached another level of health. And that gave me the chance to look at my relationship, which I was not being honest in with myself or my partner. And that was not good for either of us. And so then that was probably the hardest one to deal with because I was conflicted between two primary kind of fundamental things. One was to never turn my back on someone I loved or a friend. If you can imagine, it felt like I would have to turn my back on someone I loved, but at the same time, it was what I needed to do for my well-being. And so this desire to be honorable was in conflict with my own well-being because it wasn't right for me. And so that was by far the hardest one. I think dealing with that was then another level of health. And then facing the obligations I have to the family and having to face the business that I was running from and to turn towards what I was running from and face the darkness is counterintuitive. But it's provided a huge relief, even though the act of actually facing it and the work that's entailed is hugely stressful. It's actually much less stressful than running from it, which is counterintuitive. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. It does. <laughs> well, I want to stress the level of humility that I feel as I'm having this conversation because we have the ability to make ourselves sick and healthy. And, and, and I, I feel it's a daily practice and I feel like I want to continue to become better and to learn more and to continue it like a daily practice. And in no way do I feel like I can scream from the rooftops, I've conquered this, I conquer it daily. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm open and humble about the whole thing. It's a daily practice. It is. It is a daily practice. I honestly, I'm just going to go ahead and lump a few things on that. I think anything, everything in life is a daily practice of showing up and going, yes, whether it's a relationship, whether it's taking care of our health, it's a daily practice. It's not a given. Every day I wake up and I go, yes, I want to live well. I don't want to be in pain from the inside out. And I know that my way out of that life is to wake up every day and choose a better life. Because the one that was easy, the one that fed my ego, the one that made me feel like I was part of a of a bigger community was also the one that cut me off from myself. I don't drink anymore. I don't even miss it. I miss tequila unique every now and then, but I just notice all of these things that I feel better. I feel more authentic. And also, I don't find myself hanging out with people I don't want to be with where drinking allowed me to hang out with people I didn't want to be with, you know? And now I would much rather walk into a room and feel everyone's energy and go, yeah, I want to talk to them or yeah, I want to get engaged with them versus I'll just drink this and I can engage with anybody. It's my space, who I share space with, way more picky and way happier, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Like, I I don't want to yes. share space with everybody. I want to be. And, and those things that I used to use to numb out, they allowed me to be with and around anybody. And that was fine for them. But now I want to cultivate health 
I want to ride my bicycle into the grave, which means that I am happy, healthy, and vibrant for the last decade of my life. And I, I want that. Actually, your dad is an incredible inspiration for that. I mean, talk about somebody who's living every day to that last moment, you know? Talk inspiration right there. Yeah, he'll be 103 on December 2nd. Unbelievable. And that's your stock, Klaus. That's your stock. That's yeah. what you come from. <laughs> well, I, I, I feel very humble about all of that. I sort of view him, even though I'm related to him, as kind of a human anomaly. And I don't I don't just extrapolate that it will go well for me. I, I'm very humble about that. I think it, I couldn't have a better friend mm. and a more powerful inspiration in his secrets are really a lot of exercise every day swims every day mm -hmm. and then to be in a constant a constant mindset of learning you know he's learning italian in his in his hundreds because he might need it so you know it's like if you are constantly learning i think that's huge and then the exercise has been a huge secret and then for him his one of I think the most powerful lines that he has that sums up his wisdom most succinctly is we have the freedom of perception it's mm -hmm. the, the our greatest freedom is our freedom of perception mm -hmm. Iger likes that one too that's the dog chime in the end <laughs> it's our freedom of perception we have that's the greatest freedom we have is our freedom of perception. And we can decide how to perceive things and how to perceive life and to choose to perceive the positive sides of life and to remain on the positive. And when you extend positive energy and positive thought, you're filled with it. Mm -hmm. And watching him has been very powerful because we all get chances to wax philosophical and talk about these great philosophical discoveries. However, life inevitably throws us massive challenges within which to test our philosophies. And his example to me has been one in which when I have watched those immense hardships, be in, in, watch him endure those immense hardships and maintain that philosophy vehemently and without wavering that that's been both a great example and an inspiration in how committed you have to be to those ideas and how they will serve you and then i think it's interesting jordan peterson who is a philosopher i like quite a bit he says that the greatest way that we find strength to get through the difficulties in life are to take responsibility and to have a mission that is greater than oneself and to be involved in something where you are passionately moving things forward for and contributing to society and to people and taking responsibility. And that's how we find the strength and happiness to make it through. I think that's also that's also very true and it's the other gift i see from this disease for you and for me but in particular you is now you're taking this experience and 
and leveraging that into something that you can share that helps other people to benefit. And I, I, my hope is that whatever comes from today's talk with you goes on to help people and to help in any way to those things that have been so helpful to us with others. So, Yeah. And thank you. It helps me just to reconnect with you and, you know, it's already helped someone. So that was such an important time. That was the turning point in my life. And you were there with me holding each other accountable for the goal of going into remission naturally and saving body parts and not having to go on medication for life. And again, you know, I'm really thankful the medical community is there as lifesavers. I just didn't ever want to need them, you know, and this protocol, this lifestyle change has allowed me to stay completely flare free and it will be 10 years, January, 2023. So amazing. Yeah. Amazing. And, you know, the getting together and talking about it strengthens my resolve as well to, to appreciate that and kind of going back and reliving this with you has uh, has been really a profound gift thank you so much for that i will redouble my <laughs> double down my on your beans and, yeah and we're, we're constantly you know we're not perfect we're constantly in a position where i think we have to stay in beginner's mind and in each day my dad says you never have it made you're always making it yeah. And that, that is in life, in business, and well, in everything. So this time with his, has reopened my eyes on some things I knew but may have forgotten. And so th- thank you for that. Cultivate that healthy little garden inside. That healthy, <laughs> happy. So we are supposed to be able to handle stress. That's part of life. That's the in the human nervous system, fight or flight, right? And, and there isn't anything about the modern world that isn't going to hand us some stress. But if we cultivate a anti-inflammatory lifestyle, then I feel like our body has this incredible capacity to go through these times. Also, the mindset is really important. I definitely have the mindset of whatever it is, it is, and I'm capable. You know, that is my mindset. I'm capable. And I don't need to spend a lot of time worrying about trusting others because I trust myself to be in alignment and follow that thread wherever that takes me is is my medicine. Crohn's was my medicine. Being beaten up by it was my medicine. It's my my life is my medicine and the beauty and the agony and the ecstasy it's all it's all part of it and it's this ever moving thing. I I keep my eye on that garden, though. I did want to say, because you mentioned how important working out was, and I know a lot of people who are listening to this will be like, working out, unique. On the healing plan, we don't work out. That's a really important component because working out increases adrenaline and inflammation in the body. So if you already have a body with inflammation in it, and then you're working out, you actually have the capacity of taking something that would be good in a healthy body and making it not good in an unhealthy body. Um, a very good point. Yeah. I just want to say that because I have a lot of clients who are like, when do I get to work out? And it's like, well, let's let's put this inflammatory condition into remission. And then I work out. I work out daily. I'm either walking 
or weight training and find it to be a really important part of my life. Karen is not a big believer in working out, feels that the life you live is you you build the muscles you need for the life you live. And I'm like, well, if that were the case, I just have two really strong, I mean, hands because I'm constantly typing and taking notes. And that would be the only muscles in my body would be in my fingertips. So I, I actually, if I don't do something else, then I'm not going to be very useful. So I actually have to build other muscles in other places. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah, and no, I do think great. working out is important. If you're in a healthy body, incredibly important. I would say it's been a game changer for me working out with weights and mm-hmm. walking every morning to the sunrise. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. And I, I think the pursuit of truth, not lying to oneself, is is part of the introspection that has to happen, the facing of the truth be honest with yourself and to do that inner work is, is, and that's a lifetime. I think that's a lifetime, but I think you get better at it. And each bit of progress you make shows you the next area that may need attention. Yes, it is. Uh, there is no resting on the laurels, unfortunately. <laughs> there is no, oh, I made it to this level and now I'm just scot free. No, it's actually, I think that's probably. One of my favorite things about life is that you can keep growing until the day you die. You know, there is no such thing as the plateau. The plateau is an illusion. It's an illusion. It's an illusion. So is safety. So is uh, well, fortunately, because it'd be boring if there weren't peaks in the distance that call out to us. Yeah, (laughs) always. And yet, somehow, the, uh, the more I let go to the fact that the ground is always moving. Life is always changing. The more at peace with the fact that I am when it does and go, oh, this is changing. That's okay. That's okay. This is supposed to change. I'm not supposed to stay stagnant. This is life. Life is this constant evolution, sometimes small, sometimes large, and such is my body. As a female body, I am constantly changing. I'm, I was one hormonal beast in my 30s, and I'm a different hormonal beast in my 40s, and I will be another hormonal beast in my 50s. So, you know, just that evolution alone is a a trip. It's amazing. And I have to say that this protocol has been incredible in keeping me pretty, pretty stable throughout this, Mm. all these incredible transitions. I have dedicated myself to this work, not because it is easy, but because it is profound, to be honest. It's profound what diet can do. It really is. From myself to those that I work with, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not easy, but it's profound and, and worthy of my my life. So. Well, it's really we're we're lucky that ever that you've chosen this path, and thank you for what you have helped me with, and and that you continue to share that, which is so so powerful with many people. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming on today and sharing your journey and. I'm excited for you. It sounds like this conversation will maybe kickstart some <laughs> some beanie habits in your life. Yeah, um, yeah. As soon as we get off, go straight to it. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Unique. Thank you so much for joining me today with my conversation with Klaus. I hope you enjoyed it. 
If you are looking for support on your healing journey, I still offer coaching packages and one-on-one consultations. So find me. I am here for you. This is my life's work and has become my vocation. And it is just such a joy to support you on your healing journey. And you can do it. You know, it's not easy and it's not fun. And you only have to give up everything you enjoy. But hey, in the end, feeling great is the most addictive feeling I've ever had. And I was a person who used all the vices, all of them, all of them. And I have to say the greatest vice of all is feeling incredible and having the energy to give back. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day, night, or morning, wherever you are in this beautiful world.